This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 45. And the quote of the day is by James Allen, who said, You are today where your thoughts have brought you. You will be tomorrow where your thoughts take you. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and I'm extremely, extremely excited about this interview. We have the great Peter Erskine on the show, and he is actually in Vienna right now and was cool enough to hook up over Skype to do this interview. And just a little bit about Peter. He has played with everyone from Stan Kenton to Maynard Ferguson, Big Bands, Weather Report, Steps Ahead, Joni Mitchell, Steely Dan, Diana Krall, Kelly... Kenny Wheeler, excuse me, the Brecker Brothers, the Yellow Jackets, Pat Metheny, John Schofield, and hundreds and hundreds of others. And he is an amazing player and and a super nice guy. And I've been a big fan of Peter's ever since I saw him do a clinic at PASIC. And I think it was about 2004 or something like that that I saw him when I first saw him play live and have been a fan ever since. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. And he has a ton of insight not only about playing, but also about the business side of things and how to stay current and and just a ton of useful information. He also has a new book out, excuse me, called No Beethoven. And there's a way that you can win that book. If you listen to the interview, we'll explain how you can win the book and where he's going to talk about his new play along apps and his time with Weather Report and a bunch of cool stuff. So like I said, I'm very excited to, to have this interview today and let's get right into it. The one and only Peter Erskine. Peter, how are you? Thank you so much for, for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, Nick, and greetings from Vienna, Austria. How is Vienna this time of year? Quite sunny. The, uh, the afternoons, it usually rains just for a few minutes. Um, I just came back from having a very enjoyable lunch with an old friend. He used to work for Yamaha Drums, and uh, he took me outside of town to a place called the Prater, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I guess it's Vienna's version of Disneyland, only it's been around a lot longer. Anyway, we had some uh, good typical Viennese food for lunch, and uh, so I'm well fed and, and quite happy, and uh, I'm enjoying these couple of days in Vienna. I came here uh, kind of unexpectedly. I was supposed to be working in Warsaw, Poland, and then that project got canceled abruptly, so I said, well, I have some time on my hands, so why not go to Vienna? It's a wonderful city. There you go. So are you familiar with the, you're familiar with the town then, or the city? Well, I've, I've been here a few times, and um, uh, I also have a niece who lives here. She works at the, uh, at the opera house. Uh, she's a pianist, and she plays for the, for the course. So uh, Yesterday I met up with her. We went to a dress rehearsal for an opera that opens next week. And it's, uh, it's always fun to go see and hear an opera if you don't have to dress up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, there might be some jazz in town tonight. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to stay in my hotel room for the rest of the day after we do this uh, Drummer's Resource podcast interview. I'm going to catch some of the World Cup on TV. And uh, catch up on emails and and work. There's there's always a lot to do in today's world. I you know anybody has 
you know, tons of email to answer, but when you're kind of your own boss and doing your own business, it just seems to be that much more. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I'm not as in demand as you are, but I know, I know what you mean in, in terms of being your own boss and trying to, trying to juggle everything. And speaking of which, how do you find, how do you find the time and how do you schedule your time to, to tour and to, and do these different things and write books and, and the apps that you have that we're going to get into. And how do you have the, how do you find the time to, um, to go into all of these different ventures at the same time and do them well, rather than giving it kind of a half cocked, uh, effort? Uh, well, you, you, you know, it's just like anybody else. You do the best you can. Um, I, uh, I seem to be engineered or built to, to function okay without a whole lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, this morning I, I woke up at five, uh, and after washing up, I, I spent a couple hours doing email, then went down for some breakfast and coffee. And, uh, so I can knock, knock a few things out in the morning. Um, technology helps, you know, I, I use a couple of apps for, Keeping tracks of uh, keeping track of you know, my to do lists and and uh, email has made communications almost too easy. Um, it's hard to turn the, the darn thing off, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you know it allows me to to keep current with different projects. And I, you know, I think if if you enjoy doing something, then it's easy to do it to the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoy anything related to, to music and the music biz or, or just, just music business or, or no business. I, I love music and, and I like communicating with people and, and I like technology. And, and uh, the, the one thing I need to learn how to like more, I, I think, Nick, is how to take a, a true and proper vacation. Now, yeah. My, my wife is coming over to Europe next week to make sure I do just that. We're going to spend a week <laughs> up in the mountains, and uh, I think the rule will be uh, uh, the computer stays in the bag. There you go. There you go. You need that every once in a while, and especially with traveling so much, you know, I'm sure a lot of people think, well, you're, you're on vacation all the time. And it's like, well, just because I'm in different countries and, and you know, different, different towns, that doesn't mean that I'm not working. So. Well, you know, it's interesting when I – when I uh, entered Europe by way of uh, the airport in Frankfurt, uh, the immigration officer said, uh, why are you coming, for work or pleasure? I said, work. And then I said, well, pleasure, because <laughs> I like what I do. And he started laughing. I said, you know, I'm a musician. My work is my pleasure. And he said, ah, good, good. And he stamped my passport. And I thought about it, and I, I, I just felt very lucky that, you know, I, I enjoy what I do. Um, a lot of times when, you, when you're traveling day after day, and, and this is not unique to me, but many of my colleagues, uh, uh, the playing almost becomes the vacation part. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. real cookie, the cookie or the reward for the day uh, is making the music. That we, we often joke that we get paid for the travel. And, and the travel is not always so glamorous. I mean, right. The the whole uh, gauntlet of, of getting through uh, lines and security lines, and waiting to get onto an airplane and dealing with all that stuff. And it's, uh, that's not quite as much fun as it used to be. Right. Um, 
because of the, 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 the days and the time that we live in, it's, you know, out of necessity, it's just, it's, it's more of an ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot more casual back in the old days. Uh, but, you know, I try to play mostly the music that I want to play now, and, and uh, it's, uh, I try to keep it varied, so uh, I enjoy the variety, and uh, everything, you know, so far seems to fit. Uh, during the school year, I'm, I'm busy teaching at the Thornton School of Music at the University of Southern California, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm there a good two to three days every week, and, and then the long weekends are when I can get out of town if somebody wants me to come play something. Uh, but because I'm not a member of, of, of any uh, group or working for any one vocalist or, or, or couple vocalists, uh, while the job security is, is maybe not all that it could be, uh, I find that the demand is greater than ever. So I'm, you know, I just I go out on long weekends and I can play and and so it's a nice variety of things. I'm touring, I do recording, teaching, uh, you know, developing these apps and and the record company and then writing. So it's uh, you know, there's never a dull minute. I'm, I'm I don't ever feel bored. Right, and that's a that's a very good position to be in, and you know you've mentioned it's. I'm sorry, I was just. It's a position that that pretty much anybody uh, can put themselves in. I mean, I think, I think that uh, you you just need to pay attention to the curious part of yourself and and be curious about life and be enthusiastic about things because, you know. there are basically two ways that you can respond to just about any situation. The, the first would be with enthusiasm, and the second would be with, you know, cynicism. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, you know, that's a drag. Um, and I was very lucky, you know, very early on to learn from my father. When, you know, I was getting into that a little bit. And he pulled me aside. He says, you know, you know what, son, this doesn't sound like you. And it might sound like it's it, but it's really not. And I said, yeah, I don't want to be that way. Um, so my natural state, I think, is just to to be generally, uh, how should I put it? I like to say yes to things. Right, right. I'm a, I'm a yes kind of guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, uh, so I don't like it when t- <laughs> too much when I get no. Right. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you, so you, get, you grow up and you learn to deal with that. And, uh, and uh, okay, fine. Right. There, are enough, there are enough other people that want to say yes also, and, and those are the people I like to be around. Absolutely. And I think that there's a lot of a lot of people lose, or a lot of people miss how they can put themselves in that situation. Like I mentioned, you know, it's a good situation to be in. You said, well, anybody could be in the situation that I'm in if they, if they uh, you know, if they sort of did the things that, that you did. So what advice do you have for people that want to be in that situation, that want to you know, that want to be touring and want to be doing recordings and, and doing things in, in the, the industry and don't really know how to get there? Mm. Well, uh, you know, things have changed. Uh, things are always changing, but things changed uh, quite a bit from the time when I was going to school and was able to leave school to go on the road. Uh, there aren't as many bands touring that, that are booked you know, 50 weeks out of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And in the old days, schools prepared young musicians to, to go on the road, to take these jobs. And uh, it's something that we struggle with in jazz education. You know, are we preparing our students for jobs that don't exist? Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, we, we need to prepare them a little bit differently. Um, but the one common thing for, for all the musicians I know who seem to be in demand or stay busy is that uh, you know, they were lucky and uh, maybe they were in the right time, uh, right place at the right time kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, uh, but the one component that they, they provided was that they were ready for that opportunity. So when they had the chance, they could, you know, step up to the to the plate, as it were, and mm-hmm. and, and 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 hit the ball, and maybe even hit it out of the park. Um, so, preparation is important. Um, knowing how to play your instrument, and in in the case of of the drums, especially, being able to play the instrument in such a way that that people sense ownership from the drummer. Uh, that's what other musicians are looking for. They're not looking for speed. They're not looking for chops. Uh, they're looking for someone who plays the music or plays the beat in such a way that it makes them play better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the kinds of drummers who play to impress other drummers, it's impressive. But I've, I've never been hired by another drummer. Right, you know, I, I I get hired by bass players and keyboard players and trumpet players or saxophonists or band leaders, or arrangers or songwriters or singers, um, and it 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 just happens that you know I like playing the drums that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the earlier you can kind of gear yourself towards that idea of playing for the music and preparing for those opportunities that uh, when you sit down at the, at the drum set, you, you exude the kind of confidence that people want in everyday life. For example, you know, if you're riding on an airplane or you get on a bus, uh, you, you, you want to get the feeling right away that the pilot or the bus driver knows what they're doing. Right. <laughs> so it's pretty much that, you know, just right. take care of business. Absolutely. That makes, that makes total sense. I always like the, the Les Brown quote that it's better to be, it's better to be prepared for a situation and not have one than have a situation and not be prepared. Not for be it. prepared. Yeah, you know? I guess. And, um, and then also I, th- I think just, uh, you know, being, being a decent person. Uh, if, if I could think of a saying, um, I mean, I, if someone asked me about you know musical advice, what, what would be your musical advice for somebody? I'd, I'd say, well, you know, in one sentence, it's as, it's it's as simple as play what you'd like to hear next. It's it's really that simple. You don't play what you might think I want to hear next, or something. Just play what you trust in, what you believe would be the the, the best thing. And and if you listen to enough music and you study the styles, then then there's no mystery. To that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the other the other part of the equation is, um, you know, to do no harm, to to be a decent person. Uh, people like to work with other people that help them do their best work. Sure. 
you know, nobody wants to work with someone who's a drag. Right. Um, in, in the freelance drumming world, whether you live in New York or Los Angeles, Nashville or Chicago or even a very small town, um, you, there's, there's always another drummer that, that's looking for the same opportunity. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're just a little more confident or a little more musical or just a little nicer of a person, uh, then there's no problem. You, right. you'll, you'll get that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. So you had mentioned, you know, about some things about playing for, you know, playing for the, for the music and, and it takes a level of maturity that comes over years of, of playing and studying. And that's something that you've been doing for, for a long time. And I always like to get the backstory of, of how people got into playing. So, can you just give me a brief history of, of how you got into playing and, and, you know, some of the transitions that you made from starting out as, as an amateur and turning into a professional? Well, um, you know, the same as, as, as every drummer listening to this, uh, um, I played because I love playing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I played with a lot of enthusiasm and energy and... and uh, a lot of times inappropriately so for the music and and uh, older musicians or band leaders would tell me and the one thing I, I was always able to remember or keep in mind was uh, uh, you know to respect older musicians and I always figured that, yeah they know a little bit more about this than I do mm-hmm. so I would pay attention to, to what they said and and then still try to play the way that you know, I wanted to, and, and, and we do that by, you know, we get excited by something we've heard. Um, now, I, I began this whole process uh, pretty early on. I, uh, I, I started taking drum lessons when I was five. Uh, as long as I can remember, there was always music playing in our house. My father, who had been a bass player, was a psychiatrist, but you know, I, was, I was the one of the four kids that really seemed to take to jazz music, and so um, I got a lot of his attention, and 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 indeed the support of everybody in my family, and that was that was a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to summer music camps, and that's where I got my uh, annual jazz fix. You know, back back in the early '60s, uh, you couldn't even call a jazz band a jazz band in school. They they would call it a lab band or a stage band. Right. Um, jazz was a dirty word. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot going on in the, uh, the local high school at the time. I grew up in New, in, in, in New Jersey, down in South Jersey. Uh, but I heard about this place called Interlochen Arts Academy. And it was a uh, boarding school that, that with an emphasis in the arts. And, and this was like a, a, you know, an answer from heaven. So I spent... My high school years in the in the middle of the country, pretty much in the middle of nowhere. This this was way up in northern Michigan, and I was around other kids. That that's all they wanted to do when when they grew up. Also, was to be a, either a musician or a ballet dancer or a painter or an actor. So uh, this was exactly, you know, the kind. Of, these were the the kind of people I wanted to be around and. 
and I got a lot of uh, a lot of playing experience in the symphony orchestra and in the, the jazz big band. And we had a small group. And I played in percussion ensemble. And for a while, I thought I wanted to be a symphonic percussionist, but I, the, the the more I played the drums, I realized this is what I like to do the most. And anyway, I, I managed to get out of high school a year early, and I went down to Indiana University. Um, I was 17, and and uh, played in the jazz band there under the direction of David Baker, and I was studying with Professor George Gaber. And everything seemed, you know, fine, and I figured that's what I'd be doing for the next four years. Uh, at the end of my freshman year, I got a call to audition for the Stan Kenton Orchestra. Um, and uh, I got the gig. So, you know, shortly after my 18th birthday, there I was on the road with... A bunch of other guys that were doing this 50 weeks a year. Wow. And, you know, I had to learn how to play this style of music and learn to deal with these musicians. We were spending all this time on a bus. Uh, uh, like, I, like I mentioned, the, the first year on the road, we got two, we got actually 10 days home for Christmas. We were on the road the, the entire time. So, I, you know, I, I was going to school in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and teaching at the clinics and the summer camps. That's I first met Vinny, uh, Caliuda, Steve Smith. Uh, a lot of drummers, you know, they, they were attending these camps and, or, or, or workshops that we've given schools. And I was pretty much the same age as these guys. Um, but yeah, being in that position, I got to learn about how to teach and 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 still the nightly uh, classroom for me was playing in the band and somebody telling me that either this sounded good or that didn't sound good. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you'd make a record and you'd hear the record and you'd say, wow, that that came out differently than I thought it, it, it would have. And, and, and so, you know, the learning process, a, a lot of it is self-discovery and, and just always being open to, okay, what... What can be better? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I never beat myself up too much. But I was always uh, open to the possibility and aware of the fact that, hey, this this should and and can get a lot better. Right, right. Uh, I went back to college and after three years on the road with Kenton and and uh, was anticipating getting my degree and and then the end of that school year I got invited to go tour with Maynard Ferguson. Um, I turned that down three times, and then the fourth time I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do a summer tour. <laughs> and then the, I think it was the first night I, I realized that I don't think I'm going back to school. And then I did Maynard, and then one night about a year, a year and a half into that gig, uh, Jaco Pastorius came to one of the shows, and, and he heard me play, and, and then that led to his recommending to Weather Report in the, in the person of Wayne Shorter and Joe Zavinal that, that they bring me into the band. So I started doing that, and, and that was really the, the, the very big door opener. Mm-hmm. I started doing more recording, and then I moved to New York. Um, and, and so now, well, I just turned 60, so I've been doing this uh, a good... F- 42, 43 years as a professional. And I've got about 600 some albums under my belt and 
film scores and uh, a lot of playing and 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 two Grammy awards. Yeah. Okay. Two <laughs> Grammy awards. Um, and it's it's all still fun. You know, I I still really like it. Uh, uh, you know, my my preferences musically have narrowed down a bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know, like, hey, I'm better at doing this or I enjoy doing this more. I don't like playing, uh, having to play too loud. Uh, I've done that enough and my ears are tired. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm happy to try most any style. And I, I like challenges. And I like reading. I, I like the whole thing. It's, it's fun. It's a good way to go through life. That's that's uh that's a great way to go through life as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'd like to to backtrack a little bit um with with Weather Report. So what year was that when you joined Weather Report? Um I joined in June of 1978. Okay. So did you replace did you replace somebody at that time? Well, it wasn't replace as much as uh you know Alex Acuña, wonderful drummer. Mm-hmm. And, one of my big musical heroes, uh, you know, he, he played drums on a heavy weather album. And when Jocko played that for me, when I met Jocko, I remember telling Jocko, I said, this is the exact version of Weather Report I've been waiting for. So I was perfectly content that Alex and Manolo should stay in Weather Report, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Alex decided he wanted to leave the band. He'd been traveling and he had a family. And, and, and so uh, he left and they needed a drummer. Um, they started recording an album. They had Tony Williams come in and Steve Gadd. Um, you know, these guys weren't going to go on the road. Uh, but, you know, that's what I did. I was, I was kind of a traveling musician and, and I was young. And, uh, you know, bands like getting young sidemen, particularly drummers, I guess, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, they're, they're like a, an unformed piece of clay, so they're a bit malleable, you know. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, you know, they work for a lot cheaper than, than big names. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I went out. I found out later they actually they started paying me less than, than what they were paying Alex, which is fine. Because um, I wasn't worried about that. I, I realized... You know, I was the luckiest guy uh, on drummer earth uh, uh, to to get that opportunity, and and it was an unlikely hiring choice. I mean, most people probably thought, you know, what even I thought, you know, what the hell is this guy doing in the band? Right, right. Um, but it worked somehow, and and Jocko heard something that he was very comfortable with, and and I I I like to think, or I hope that that I freed him up. And, you know, just by way of the way that, that I grew up and the way I played, it, it steered the band in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, it was not so Afro-Cuban or Afro-Caribbean in orientation. I was a big band drummer. And, and both Joe Zavano and Wayne Shorter, I think they, they were intrigued by the idea. Like, hey, here's a guy that played with Stan Kenton. Right. And, and their idea of Stan Kenton, I think, was, you know, the 1950s Stan Kenton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that I played with Maynard, I don't know if too many of your listeners know this, but both Joe Zavano and Wayne Shorter played in Maynard's big band back in the 50s. Hmm, I did not know that. Yeah, so, yeah, they were like, okay, why not? Let's, let's, let's get somebody from the big band 
side of things and maybe ensemble-wise, uh, this could work well with, with the kind of music they were doing. And uh, I hope it did. I mean, I certainly learned a lot how to be a more equal contributing member to a small group. You know, up until that time, I was, I was like, you know, read the chart and play the big band figures mm-hmm. kind of drummer. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, for years, Nick, every, every job I got, I was always like the youngest guy in right. the band. Um, and so there was, there was always a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. So what, what was it like? I, a lot of people have asked, um, as well. And I, you know, it's person it's a personal question that I want to ask too, um, about working with Jocko and, and what it was like working with him. It was fun. Uh, we, uh, we listened to a lot of the same things growing up. And and that's what he heard when he when he first heard me play. I think so. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, we were you know we were the two kids in the band. I mean Joe and Wayne were were twice our age, mm-hmm. and Jocko and I were were very close in age. We we both grew up uh, in the Philadelphia area. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm from Atlantic City. He was from Philadelphia originally. Uh, so we just we 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 shared a lot of the same kind of uh, cultural references and 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 humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. When people ask me what it was like, I just it was fun. Yeah, I mean the guy was a, was an unbelievable bass player, uh, unbelievable musician, and and the, the energy of the band was was something else. I mean. Joe and Jocko were just both so uh, not only imaginative and creative, but very competitive. And and so the band was always, I mean, it was always on. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there was, whatever we did, there, there was, somehow there was never a sense that it was downtime. Even if we were just having fun, there was always this sense of competitive and, and you had to be hip. And, right. Um, Nobody and, was laying down. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they walked around thumping their chest that, you know, we, we are the baddest cats on the scene. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the mystique of the band, but I think they actually believed it. So, you know, a lot of times I would just shrug my shoulders go like, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you get used to it after a while. Right. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I'd never worked with musicians that, that had so much fun and at the same time took their music so seriously. Right. I remember seeing a uh, a downbeat cover a while ago, and I I don't know what year it was from, and I can't find it again, so I'm I'm probably messing it up a little bit. But I just remember seeing the downbeat cover, and it said Weather Report, the greatest band in the world. And I I remember seeing it when I was in college, and I don't think I don't think that the magazine was from then i think it was an older magazine or something but it just you know it goes to what you're saying about you know walking around thumping your chest saying we're the greatest band ever you know yeah well yeah they believed it um and when you hang around you know after i yeah well maybe maybe it is and i mean i never felt that way about my playing in the band i was always i think aware of uh I don't want to say my shortcomings, but 
you know, uh, uh, like I said at the beginning of, of our discussion here, you, you do the best you can, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you, I got thrown into the, the deep end of the swimming pool, and I, okay, I'm just doggy paddle and do the best I can. Right. Um, <laughs> and if, if I knew then what I know now, yeah, I'd probably do some things differently. But I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't even, I wouldn't even be able to play the gig. I mean, the, the thing that, that people forget sometimes is how loud that band was. I mean, it was really a loud band. Yeah. And so the, the kind of finesse that, that was my favorite kind of weather report stuff, like the early weather report. Um, the band wasn't built to operate that way. By the time I joined, you know, the, and the, the kind of venues and the kind of sound that the band was putting out, the places we were playing in, it was, it was loud. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could have influenced that. Uh, uh, I mean, a lot of it was my misunderstanding because Joe you know, you make eye contact with Joe Zavano and he's basically the, the message from him always was more, give me more, give me more. <laughs> and back then, I said, well, more meant louder or faster. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and I realize now that, that oftentimes when, when a non-drummer is trying to communicate with a drummer, if they say more, they might mean more velocity, more energy, more swing, more, you know, not necessarily louder. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things I wish I'd kind of figured out earlier, sure. earlier on. But um, it was all great information for for me to to utilize later. Mm-hmm. There, um, I, there's a uh, there's a question on here from from Brandon that was asking if you ever had any uh, weird or odd Jocko situations. Oh, well, I mean, you know the. The books, in, including mine, uh, No Beethoven, where I, I talk about some of those. Uh, some other books dwell more on, on some of the sensational or, or more tragic or tragic comedy aspects of, of the story. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I was doing a concert a, a, a year or two ago in, in Germany, and uh, Jocko was a larger-than-life figure. And everything about him uh, is of intrigue and interest to people who are fans of, of the music, and uh, and and people want to try to understand, uh, of course, what happened to him. And and I was doing this interview, and the guy said, well, uh, "What can you tell us about uh, how Jocko died?" And I said, "You know, we're this is not the place to talk about that." And right. And we're not here, you know, this particular contest. We're here to celebrate the genius of his music. Mm-hmm. So I, I would like to just concentrate on that. And, and that's pretty much how I, I, I feel about Jocko, that if, if, if I have anything to say uh, for the guy or, or about the guy, it, it, I'm really interested just to talk about, you know, what a great musician he was. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some funny stories here and there, but uh, the challenge with with uh, with with Jocko was just being able to keep up with him. You know, he right. he had he had a lot of energy. Uh, he gave me one good piece of advice once when when I was going through my kind of sophomore period on the band and, and beginning to doubt 
my own abilities because of this or that not meeting, you know, maybe Zavano's expectations. And, um, and Joe was, you know, kind of came from that school, the Nietzsche, uh, you know, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger mm-hmm. kind of thing. So uh, a lot of the old, old-time jazzers were like this. If they, if they felt a weak, weak point, you know, they'd poke it. And if they could make you bleed or make you run away, then the sooner the better. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I learned to get a pretty thick skin and a, and a backbone. And, and oddly, I mean, that's something I've always had. Uh, whenever I've been in a work situation, I always felt 100% confident. I belong here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's, that's maybe something you get from when you're very young. Uh, but I always felt a sense of destiny with that kind of stuff. I was like, nah, you know. I, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. right. Uh, but when Jocko saw me beginning to doubt myself a bit, he came up to me and he said, listen, man, he said, he said stop thinking so much. Just concentrate. Hmm. And I, I had to think on that. And, and, and I realized what he meant was, man, just listen. If you're listening to the music, you'll know exactly what to do. And So, again, my advice is a variation of that. Just play what you'd like to hear, you know. If 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 you're informed enough musically, then you can trust your instinct. This is what needs to be played next, and then you don't have to scratch your head thinking about it. You just play what you'd like to hear, mm-hmm. which means you're a hundred percent involved with the music as it's being played. Right. You know, and if you're not a hundred percent involved then your mind is on something else and then that's not in the in the service or to the benefit of the music mm-hmm. then what do you you know then what are you really playing if you're if you're not playing the music you know then yeah. you're just kind of kind of well, going through the motions or or you're playing for your ego or you're playing like i said for you know the hypothetical you you're doing a gig first set great band is hitting on all cylinders and it's terrific. And you get up and you start the second set. You happen to look up and you see that Steve Gadd and Dave Weckl and Steve Smith and Manu Cache and Jack DeJanet all walk in to the club. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I would, I would just walk off the stage. But anyway. No. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, but of course you're going to think, wow, I wish those guys had come for the first set. Because, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you get very self-conscious. Um, and, and at a certain point, you're able to realize, like, wow, that's really cool that they're, they're here to listen. Mm-hmm. And even if they got up and walked out, say, okay, well, they didn't dig it. You know, big right. deal. It, it has nothing to do with, with the way you play. Mm-hmm. And it, it changes nothing. You know, whether Steve Smith or Steve Gadd or, or Steve uh, whoever uh, uh, likes or doesn't like the way you play. It doesn't change the way you play. Right. And... I think that uh are you saying that it probably it probably would for someone that's a little bit yet a little bit less matured as a player and a, a little no. a little less into the music. It's it's all of us can get self-conscious. Mhm. You know, it's funny. I did a uh I did the Silgen American Drumming Achievement Awards performance a few years ago and uh, Steve Gadd and myself, Terry Lynn Carrington, and Marvin Smitty Smith were asked to play in honor of uh, Steve was playing for Louis Belson, Terry Lynn for Roy Haynes, uh, 
Marvin Smitty Smith was playing for Max Roach, and I got to play for Elvin Jones. And we had a, a rehearsal in the sound check. And my parents came, and my sister came, and she came with an old boyfriend of hers who had been, like, a few years older than me, and he was, like, the drummer in our town for, you know, a couple years. Mm-hmm. That was, and, you know, it didn't... I wasn't at all self-conscious about Gad or Smitty or, or Terry Lynn. Um, but I remembered being very, like, self-conscious because it put me back with this guy. It put me back, like, when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like when you go home for, for a holiday dinner and you feel like, yeah, now I'm all grown up and, uh, and, and you know, my buttons can't get pushed the way they used to when I was younger. And right, then right. There, there's your aunt so-and-so or your grandma, uh, whatever, and... And they say the thing, and it immediately like throws you back into the all the psychic turmoil, right? When right, right. So, so here I am, this guy who, you know, he didn't even barely play drums anymore. Uh, but I remember, you know, being self-conscious, and and the rehearsal sounded, to my way of thinking, like pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And I was so grateful for this. When I stopped and thought about it, I said, this is great, you know. So I got that out of the way. And because I was trying a little hard to play for this guy, of all people, um, that, you know, if anyone out there wants to play like Elvin, that's a very common mistake is that you, you overdo it. Right. And when you, when you watch Elvin and you listen to Elvin, as powerful as it sounds, uh, there's, there's so much fluidity. And, and, and so much relaxation, mm-hmm. no matter how intensely he's playing. So, you know, because of this one little self-conscious kind of moment, it, it gave me a, 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 an opportunity to like, ah, you know, step beyond it. Right, um, right. So, you know, to, to the drummer slash listeners out there, if, if you have a, a bad gig, it's a blessing. It may not be fun, um, but there's always something. And something doesn't go well. Now I, well, yeah, what are you going to do? You, right. you try to you try to change course. A lot of times I just start laughing. Right. <laughs> Move <laughs> yeah, on and, and and. Well, just you know, like whoa, this this is going pretty badly. Well, okay. <laughs> you know what else? What else are you going to do? Right, in, embracing <laughs> it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Just, all right, all right. Um, because as as important and as sacred and as consuming and wonderful as, as it is, it's hey, it's just some some music, you know. Mm-hmm. And and there's if you play badly, you're joining a lot of other bad music in outer space. It's, right. It's it's not the it's not it's not the end of life, and you're not harming anybody. And right. You disappoint yourself, and then just hey, all right. What what did you just learn from that? Exactly. Don't do the same bullshit next time. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that outlook though. You know, it's it, let it let it go and and forget about it. And you can't change it now, so you know exactly. So it's it's over and move on and and do it better next time. Yeah, swing next time. Right, don't right. Try, don't try to show off. Something. Right. 
Now you had mentioned um, you had mentioned your book that you have no Beethoven, and I want to get I want to talk about the book, and I know that you have um, some apps that I also want to talk about. There's a couple questions that I wanted to ask from uh, from listeners out there that that posted some questions. Um, so if we could just get a cu- I want to get a couple of these questions in quickly, and then I want to dive into this book and these apps, so we can let the listeners know about that as well. Cool. Um, so one, um, Phil asks what your favorite warm up or rudiment is. Um, my favorite warm up was, was shown to me by George Gaber when I was, a, I think I was 12 years old at one of these summer camps. And, uh, it, uh, it starts off with the right hand playing eight single strokes, no accent, followed by the left hand playing eight. And then the right hand plays seven, the left hand plays seven, six, six, five, five, four, four, three, three, two, two, one, one. And they're like, so it's like, you know. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Playing with my fingers. Seven, seven, six, six, five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, two, three. So I'm up and down. Uh, paying attention to stick height, to dynamic balance. Um, and, uh, and, I'll do that. Uh, the reason I like doing that is because you can't go on automatic. You have to be paying attention rhythmically, and then that makes you pay attention mechanically to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do uh, you know combinations of singles, doubles, paradiddles, um, some flams. I like I like the flam accent, um, and I'll usually do that um, alternating hands uh, as triplets. And I'll do a series of six of those, and then I'll play six more. Well, no, there'll be more. Though. Uh, I'll play those same things for a total of six beats, but at sixteenth notes. Oh, okay, okay. So I'll go like four, five, six. So it's almost like a metric modulation. Sure. And. Um, I like that just because uh, uh, flam articulation and flam performance in terms of the dynamic balance and, and the opening uh, between the two notes uh, and the fact that it's followed so closely by other notes uh, always just feels like a, a very good warm-up and the fact that you're changing speed back and forth. Again, it, it, it's, it's something you do that, that demands attention mm-hmm. and concentration. And so I, don't, I, don't, I try not to go on automatic when I right. do that stuff. right. Um, and then on the drum set, I'll, I'll, I'll practice whole notes, half notes on the ride cymbal. I'm always working on my touch, consistency, uh, and usually trying to play uh, simple beats as, as well as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll record myself a lot of times, and, and something I tell my students to do when, when you record yourself and then you listen back, don't listen back to like how well did I play that rudiment, or, you know, was that Rademacher good? But play, play body percussion. Tap your your hands onto your torso or on your thighs. Are you still there? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So when you play, when you play along with yourself, now all of a sudden you're listening to the drums as another musician on the bandstand. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, 
then you get an idea of, uh, okay, that feels good. Or, oh, geez, every time I play a fill, I speed up or I slow down. Or right. Whatever. Right. Um, and I, I encourage my students to keep practice diaries and stuff like that. But for warm-ups, uh, I keep it pretty simple. The, the older I get, the, the more essential warm-ups seem to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't always get the opportunity a lot of times with playing and traveling. And you, sure. Sure. Um, when I was in Weather Report, I used to, I had a whole series of warm-ups and, and uh, uh, cardio exercises. <laughs> you know, I was going to say, that's like an Olympic event before you're going into that. <laughs> Yeah, I would do. I would do. You know, I would run in place. I would do a hundred jumping jacks. It was a whole. You know, I was never super athletic, but I was pretty fit. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the band hit it hard and, and hit it loud and fast. Uh, nowadays, uh, the stuff I play doesn't involve too much of that kind of. Uh, Calisthenics uh, and uh, all that. Yeah. Right. Know, right. That so anyway, that's. That's that's my favorite warm up. Great. Uh, so Michael Windish asks. He's Michael's a friend of mine. He plays with Chubby Checker now. Actually. Um, oh, cool. Said he studied with you over ten years ago, and he said you're brilliant. Um, please ask him about his transition from sideman drummer with many groups to writing his own music and leading his own bands. Well, when you lead your own bands, you're responsible for the others. Um, Michael, being a drummer, he he has enough of the control uh, freak thing that uh, he should welcome that. Mm-hmm. And so, working with the travel agent or booking the tickets yourself, or checking the band in, and talking with the promoter, all those kinds of things, kind of comes natural to most drummers. Right. Uh, uh, writing your own music uh, just takes doing it. Um, I haven't written in. So much lately, and it, it feels bad not to have. I've just been so busy with other things, and, and I want to get back and, and you know onto the piano and and start sketching some stuff out, and I'm building up ideas and things I want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but being a band leader, if 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 you you know if you hear the music going a particular direction, it's a good idea. It, being a being a side person in the band is, is not a bad way to go, either. I, you know, it just depends who I'm, I'm working with. I, sure. <clears throat> I found there's there's no there's no either secret formula or no uh, one kind of one stop solution like. Or, you know, the grass is greener. Wow, if I, if I only played in this band, this would solve all my problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that. I, I joined a well-known band at one point. And I thought, man, this will be great, you know. And, and every band is dysfunctional and requires care and feeding and attention. Sure. And, and it's a neurotic experience. And, you know, there's always someone in the group that has a very different expectation than, than what you might have. Uh, I always say playing in a band is like having five girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that sounds really complicated. <laughs> you might be right. I, uh, I, you know, for a few years I was really like trying to get my name out there as a band leader, and and to be honest, Nick, I don't really care now. Right. If the if the music's good, and if if uh, like Alan Pasqua and I is just such a wonderful pianist, and for a while we used to wrestle like 
okay, who's going to do the announcing? And, mm-hmm. and now I'm like, you, go ahead, you, know, you announce. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> um, I just, I love playing with him so much. And, you know, if, if I don't have to do the announcements and uh, that gives me time if I have to retune my snare drum sure. or something. Sure, sure. You know, I can do it or I can take a drink of water. When, when you're announcing and band leading, it's, it's, that's a lot of stuff on your plate. I, I liked it, but I don't do that much of it now, and I don't miss it. Hmm. So I have uh, two other quick questions. One, um, um, Bernard, or Bern, B-E-R-N-D, Bernd, I guess his name is, um, Richter asked, if you practice something new, what's your criterion for determining when you're ready to use it on a gig or ready to use it on stage? Uh, well, I'll, I'll use, use something on stage when I haven't practiced it. Um, <laughs> that's when I like to try it. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, then I'll practice it. Right. Um, so you go the other way. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to listen. And if something comes up, like, oh, you know, like I said, what do you want to hear next? And if I hear it, I'll go for it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, then I know what to work on. I don't. I don't practice things to play them on stage. I, got I mean, you. the only time I've done that was like when I got the Steely Dan gig and I just, I said, well, I better learn these beats. And, mm-hmm. and even that, I mean, you know, Steely Dan beats are a variation of about four different beats and they're all pretty simple. Right. Um, but the thing I didn't know before the first rehearsal is, well, what tempo are they going to count this stuff off? At? Mm-hmm. If I'm only comfortable at this tempo and then Donald Fagan wants to hear it a little slower, can I... Can I own it? Can mm-hmm. I hold it in that pocket? So, you know, by the time I, I got called for that gig, I'd already been on the cover of Modern Drummer three times. And then here I am practicing. <laughs> but setting the metronome, you know, at, at 112, at 118, at 123, at 109, at 122, at 140. 31 and, you know so sure. that I because you need to you need to feel and you need to convey confidence mm-hmm. again you know the drummer's the bus driver you don't want to get on a bus and then the guy's like uh, do I go right here or do I go left and he has trouble shifting from second into third gear right you know you want to get off that bus as soon as possible absolutely so it's it's just a matter of, of, of attitude okay and Dave Stanitz told me to ask you or to tell me the story of one and three with Shelby Mann on a plane ride that you guys were on. Oh, Shelly Mann? Yeah. Well, I was showing Shelly uh, uh, the first draft of an article for a Japanese. Uh, was this Dave Tannock? Yeah. This? Yeah. Okay, Dave. Uh, hi, Dave. <laughs> Wonderful drummer and educator and a dear friend. Uh, he is. We. I, I had him on the show before. He's a. He's an awesome he's human being. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. Great. I mean, a great player as well, too. Yeah, both things. See, and and Dave has a very fulfilling musical life, and he stays busy because he takes care of business as a musician, and people like him. Mm-hmm. It's, it's as simple as that. All right. Anyway, and okay. So talent. Yeah. You know, some people have that charisma, musically or otherwise. That, Anyway, Dave has all that stuff. So uh, I had mentioned to him the story. I was flying to Japan, and uh, I, I got to sit next to Shelly Mann. 
And I, wow, so I, I said, Shelley, would you please read this, this book? And, and uh, it, it was a series of articles for Japanese jazz magazines. So it would eventually become my first book that I called Drum Concepts and Techniques. And, and I was talking about two and four, how this was so important in jazz music and the hi-hat plays two and four. And you have to emphasize two and four. So Shelley reads it and he's kind of shaking his head. And, and he points to that one page. He goes, yeah. He goes, and just one thing. He goes, you know, this, all this stuff about two and four? And I said, yeah. He said, don't forget, you can't have two and four without one and three. <laughs> and, and this is something that a lot of old, older or old-time jazz guys, uh, you know, in jazz we often talk about how the importance of the and of four. Uh -huh. that's, that's your friend. And, and when you're playing jazz, if you can't think of anything else to play, whether it's on the snare drum or the bass drum, just playing the and of four, the swung triplet ties kind of feel mm -hmm. right? on the end of four, and then boom. You know, uh, but, but a lot of the old timers were like, you know, man, you got to play downbeats. Right. Even Joe Zavano. Joe said, man, you know, give me some downbeats every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Don't always play around it. I like a good downbeat. Hmm. So that's what Shelley was getting at, you know. One, one and three is essential if you're going to have two and four. Sure. Huh. And it's funny, just, you know, a lot of people just never think of it or, or don't, don't apply it in their playing. Well, Would I you... mean, with, with a, lot of, a lot of teachers uh, will teach or preach that the ride symbol should be accented on two and four. Now, that's one way to play the ride. And you can also accent uh, the and of two and the and of four. Um, but for starters, I think if, if, if you're not able to play a ride symbol beat with just a good quarter note, every note with the same emphasis, like a walking bass line. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that equal quarter note feel happening, um, it's really harder to develop all the other variations. And um, the, the secret to, to, to jazz phrasing, uh, you know, we, 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 we talk about it being triplet based, mm -hmm. um, which it is more or less. But, you know, also think about the way horn players play jazz. If you think of a Charlie Parker solo, you know. All that stuff. I'm not swinging those. I mean, I'm not going. They're kind of straight eighth notes, but I'm accenting the second half. And I'm singing legato. Uh -huh. And legato, the smooth note, not to be confused with smooth jazz, which shouldn't be confused with anything. But, <laughs> um, the, smooth, the smooth note articulation, this is what makes the music swing. Right. Uh, so it's, uh, it's one of the things I teach uh, any students, but particularly at, at USC, is this, this whole concept of, playing through the notes and understanding the, the subdivisions, you know, the spaces between the notes that you play and getting a good legato phrasing. Um, and then all of a sudden, when you start playing things on the drum, it doesn't sound like staccato. It actually sounds or feels legato. And, and I work with my students on playing melodies on mm -hmm. the snare drum uh, and being able to play legato without the use of cymbals. Mm -hmm. And so... 
that that ties into this whole thing of of, of the quarter node and one and three and two and four and that kind of stuff. Right. Was that the question or did we move on to another question? What's that? Well, no, we were talking about the Shelly Man thing, but I, I appreciate you getting into the get getting into the story a little bit more and especially the importance of of playing when you're playing melodies on the drums when you're you know just the long and short notes that most not I don't want to say most drummers but a lot of drummers don't conceptually think about when they're playing is that you know because a drum set is not a is not a a pitched instrument nor is it really to have sustained notes well, um, not yeah, not like a, let's say a piano or maybe a guitar. Right. But you know what's interesting? I, uh, not not to give away one of Russ's secrets, but I was I was trading lessons with Russ Miller, mm-hmm. and Russ is was very busy. I, I, I'm I'm certain he still is, but at one point he was doing just. A, I mean, recording has slowed down for a lot of us, but he was doing a ton of recording in L.A. Um, and he wanted to work on some jazz things. And then I said, well, all right, my turn. And he said, what do you want to know? And I said, all right, why are you so busy? What is it that you do that makes, makes producers and singers call you? And he didn't hesitate. He said, I'll tell you why. He says, because when I, when I do backbeat music, he said, my backbeats are long. I sing them long. So instead of boop, bop, boop, bop, it's boop, ba, boop, ba, boop, ba. He conceptualizes it as a long, sustained note. Mm-hmm. And I immediately got it. I went, right. Okay, we're equal. Right. You know, it took me an hour to, to show him shit, but he, in, in one minute, that's fantastic because it, Conceiving of the backbeat as a long note totally changes the way it lays on the kit. Right. Um, it, so again, it gets, it's the spacing between the notes. And you know, I was talking about the triplet feel. I, we don't have time, or I just don't have the energy right now to get into it. But there's a whole thing about you know the triplet feel, uh, the the ternary or triplet feel uh, versus or or the beauty of how it interacts with the binary or duple or straight up and down feel. And two and three, these, these are the two magic numbers in, in all the music from Africa, from the Caribbean, jazz, um, whether you're talking about clave or you're just talking about that, you know, the Mercy beat or Bo Diddley or whatever. It's, it's, it's this beautiful rub between the two and the three. Mm-hmm. And that's the tension and release that, that gives, the, I think, the inner energy to, to all the music rhythmically. These are the things that, that kind of fascinate me and I like to think about. Mm-hmm. I try to get my students to think about. I agree. I agree. It's hard to get people to think like that too. So, uh, you know, I... Well, you just look, you look at the drummers who, are, who made most of the recordings and generally these are the drummers who are our heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, listen to that song. That's great. And most of them... That's the that's you can hear it in their playing, mm-hmm. you know, and they're playing for the song. Uh, they're not especially fast, and they're not especially 
impressive. And I, I mean, you know, drummers by and large, I, I think we're about the nicest group of people. My wife says this. She's just amazed by how helpful and, and positive and energetic drummers all seem to be around one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, the, the the drummers who who focus their drumming just on kind of fast stuff that uh, puzzles me. Uh, um, because there's not a whole lot you can do musically when you're talking that much right. on your instrument, you know. Sometimes people will, will say to me that, oh, you play so musical, oh, thanks, or, or and somehow implying that I'm, I'm very generous musically. Uh-huh. And I'll smile and I'll say, thanks, but, you know, that's just an illusion. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much a control freak, and when I play soft and when I play simply, it's much easier for me to, to actually direct where the music goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm just up there playing 100 miles an hour, um, you know, then after a while, it doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. So it's, it's just like paisley wallpaper after a while. Right. Um, there's so many drummers out there <coughs> that I hear that have incredible chops, but that's all they play. And it, for me, it doesn't really, it doesn't compute for me. I just want to hear a groove and I want to hear the music. Come yeah. out of it, so sure. I mean, when you listen to your favorite song, you know whether it's Al Jackson Jr. playing or maybe it's Hal Blaine or whatever, Panama Francis, Bernard Purdy, Earl Palmer, whoever it is, or Ringo. Man, these are these are pretty simple beats, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, and I, I don't. I don't even think it's a matter of being old fashioned. It's just. This is the stuff that drives the music that we like, so it just makes sense. Like, boy, that's a that's a good place to steer my energy towards. I um, totally agree. Yeah, I don't know where the fast drumming. Well, Buddy Rich, he fucked it up for everybody, right? <laughs> and nobody could ever catch him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there's only one Buddy. I, yeah. I, I mean, you know, Buddy was, of course, a hero to all of us, and and no one, in my opinion, and and that's a learn learned opinion at this point. Um, no one will ever equal, certainly not better, what he could do. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, he was like a Paganini, the once in a, uh, once in a universe. Yeah, I agree. Phenomenon. Um, but I once, I once wrote a, an article that, that uh, and I started off and I, I, I was anticipating I would, I would hear back from some people, but I said, that, you know, Buddy was, was, possibly one of the worst things to have ever happened to big band drumming. And, and I didn't mean that what he played sucked, but that it created an expectation that in order to be you know, a good drummer, which meant you had to be an exciting drummer, which meant you had to play a certain number of notes within a allowed or you know, a certain amount of time to kind of qualify, you know? Right. And, and uh, wow, it's too bad that Mel Lewis didn't gain that kind of uh, traction. Right, right, right. Um, because Mel kind of did it the opposite way. Um, and, and Buddy's great. I love listening to him. But it's, you know, I can listen to Mel for a lot longer period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and I can identify with that more. And, and, and if drummers like the way I play, it might be just because I think they identify. They go, wow, you know, I could do that. Right. And they can. I mean, anything I do, just about any drummer can do. 
<laughs> Honestly, it's no big deal. <laughs> well, I love I love that uh, that outlook that that anybody could do it. <laughs> yeah, they can, but you have to, you have to be willing to you know put in the time, right? And then and to commit to making that musical choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that takes you know that that's that's that takes a commitment. Absolutely, absolutely. But, but you know. It can be it's, done. It's it's easy to make that commitment too if you if you want to. If you want to, right? So listen, we're we're getting we're over an hour, and I, I still want to I want to get into this book. Um, so you have your your book, No Beethoven, um, that we're actually we're going to give away an autographed copy of the book. Um, so basically, anybody listening out there, if you sign up for the mailing list at drummersresource.com, you'll automatically be entered to win the new book from Peter, and he's going to autograph it for us. And yay! Yay! <laughs> which we appreciate very much. Um, so tell us, tell us about the book. Well, the title, because um, people go, what's the matter? Don't you like Beethoven? I said, well, I love Beethoven. <laughs> but Joe Zavano once bragging to me about his compositional prowess or ability once said, you know what, I ain't afraid of no Beethoven, <laughs> which was for an, a Viennese to say is almost sacrilegious, but uh, I just thought, it, uh, well, I was thinking about what, what should I call this book, and, and then I thought, why don't I call it no Beethoven, it's, it's so funny. Um, the, the book is, is an autobiography, but it's also uh, a chronicle of the Bam Weather Report. And kind of a chronicle of, of the times, my growing up, you know, late 50s, all through the 60s, and, and becoming a professional in the 70s. And that decade in particular, just the changes that, that music not only was going through, but the changes that music brought uh, to people, to society. And, and uh, I wasn't just a fly on the wall, but I, you know, I was a fly on a, on, a, on a very good wall because I was backstage with all these guys and in the recording studio and on the bandstand. Right. Uh, but, you know, also a participant. And um, I just happened to keep, I kept logs, journals, diaries, uh, took a ton of photos, kept a lot of memorabilia. So all this stuff wound up in the book. And, and uh, I've just really been... So pleased by the response from, from people who have read it. Some of them are fans. Some of them are musicians. Um, there's a lot in there for anyone who's a fan of Weather Report or Steps Ahead or uh, the Kenton or Ferguson big bands mm-hmm. or just in drumming because I, I think it, it, it provides a nice look into uh, the art of drumming, some of the things you run up, to, run up against and and uh, if, there's any, if there's any lesson in the book, not to give away anything, but uh, the one thing I learned uh, working with all these musicians was, was, was not to personalize musical direction. You know, we're all uh, the kinds of artists that we, we wear our hearts on our sleeves and we can get bruised easily, but, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, the, the music comes first. And when you're making music, it, hey, it, it should be like this. And if someone told me that, I didn't personalize it. Right. I'm, you know, I, mean, I might not like it. I don't like to be told how to play. I don't know a drummer <laughs> who does. Uh, 
But you know, a lot of times if I'm a musical director, or even if I'm just a, a side band sometimes, I'll just I'll speak up now because I say, hey, trust me. You know, it's not just my biased opinion, but you know, I've been through this thing already, and right. Let's do this. We'll save some time, and we'll we'll make better music. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and people trust me because you know I'm, it doesn't change my 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 feeling for them as human being. Um, and I try not to be insulting, but you know life is short. Right. <laughs> if the shit sounds corny. You know, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote of the day. <laughs> That's the quote of the day. If the shit sounds corny. I'll tell you. Life is short. <laughs> So where can everybody pick up a copy of the book? Um, Where's the best can, place to get it? Well, if, if you're an iPad kind of person, um, the iPad version is amazing because it has literally uh, hundreds, over a thousand photographs. I oh, think. wow. I, mean, I, I haven't counted, but uh, I don't want to make any false claims, but it, uh, there are hundreds and hundreds and possibly over a thousand photographs. Um, audio files, video files. It's it's a it's a real multimedia experience. Hmm. Uh, it's available for Kindle, mm-hmm. um, and Kindle you can read Kindle on on any computer. Uh, or if you want to get the hard, not the I mean the, the hard copy book, which is paperback, uh, you can uh, you can buy from Amazon or uh, any number of, uh, of bookshops. Have it. It's published by Alfred Music. And uh, we're gonna. I'm getting inquiries now for a German version, an Italian version. There's a Japanese version that just came out. That's great. So little by little, yeah, great. Um, a lot of fun stories in there. And if you liked even five seconds of this podcast interview, then you'll like the book. Great. And I'm gonna. I'll link every podcast has a a, a page dedicated to it. So you'll be drummersresource.com forward slash session 45 so everybody can go there and check out all your information and get the book but i also want to talk about these apps you have these play along apps um so you have jazz essentials afro-cuban essentials the code of funk um let's talk about these apps these seem really cool to me but i want to i want to let you explain it oh well uh thanks Uh, you know most of the recordings i've done over the years were uh, the drums were always in the same room with the acoustic piano or, or saxophone whatever so uh, uh, you know, I think, wow, we could do a play along. Well, we can't because the drums are bleeding into the piano mics. Right. So, so I did an album with what I was calling my new trio with electric bass, Damien Erskine, my nephew. He, he's touring now with Gino Vanelli. Oh, great. Uh, and he played bass, and then Vardan of Sepian, this wonderful pianist, uh, he was in another room playing piano. So I said, hey, maybe we could do something and create some play along tracks. Uh, so we made a, a very inexpensive play-along app, and people liked it. So I said, well, let's do it for real now. But instead of just minus drum version or minus bass version, let's make a mixer. So it can be minus two instruments if you want, or minus three instruments if, if it's larger than a trio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can uh, mess with the balance and and... And so what, what's the material that, that would be most useful to people? And for Jazz Essentials, that, well, what are the tunes that students need to know? Um, and in what keys and at what tempos? So not only for practice, but we even thought for auditions this would be useful. Um, 
if you're a school system that that has one account with Apple, you could you could buy one app and share it with all your students. You know, so you know the the idea was just to do something that like I, this, will, this will sound corny, like to, to make the world a, a a better place. But you know, my wife and I said we don't want to. You know, the idea is not to make a whole lot of money, but if if we can do something that's really useful, and and the play along paradigm just needed to be updated. Mm-hmm. You know, the the turning your stereo to the left and to the right, uh, <laughs> or you know, on iTunes you 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 would spend ninety nine cents to download one tune minus one instrument. I said, what? We could do better than that. Right. So, so for eleven ninety nine you get twelve tunes, and it's any combination of 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 play along for horn players. We have PDF charts in all all three keys. You can print or email those. And, and now we have a record yourself feature. So you can record yourself and then make a mix and you can mail that to yourself or to your teacher or put it up on SoundCloud for your friends. Really? Uh, yeah. So uh, we're, going to, we're going to go back in the studio and provide some uh, update bonus tracks for people that already have the app. And I want to create uh, one more jazz app down the road. Uh, we have a Brazilian app. Uh, we're going to record that material in August, mm-hmm. do more jazz stuff in August. Eventually, I'd like to do a big band. Uh, I'm also speaking with Ralph Humphrey about doing an Odd Time uh, play-along. Awesome. So it's pretty cool. It did, it, it, you can't change speeds like some of the MIDI-based apps. Um, or some there's some play along apps that have a, a a sound engine where you can do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no app I've heard that has this kind of technological pizzazz or finesse and and swings as much as ours does. I mean, these apps really sound good. Right, the playing's really good. Um, the developer is a guy named Lucas Ives, who. Uh, uh, used to live back east, and he did quite a bit of work with Dave Weckl on some stuff. Um, he's a drummer, so he gets it, and uh, it's really been fun. Uh, my business hat doesn't still doesn't fit me all that well, but uh, <laughs> I'm doing, th- doing the best I can. I think it's a I think it's a great idea. I'm just looking at them all on here too. You have Jazz Essentials, Afro Cuban Essentials, and then you have the Code of Funk, Jazz Essentials Two. And then Joy Luck. And then Joy Luck. Joy Luck. And that was the first one we did. Uh, and, and those were like prepared mixes of, uh, you know, track, uh, track minus drums or track minus bass. Right. Uh, but the mixer is, is more, I think more interesting. Uh, maybe one of these days we'll update Joy Luck, but we, we're spending all our time and energy right now on doing as much as we can with the Essentials apps. But, you know, and every time Apple <clears throat> upgrades iOS, it, it, you have it to, punches a bunch of holes in the programming that we have to go back and, and fix things. Right, right. Um, and uh, we've we've had a lot of questions about Android. Uh, I'm meeting with an Android developer next week to see if uh, if it's reasonable to expect that we can convert this stuff to the Android platform and not make ourselves crazy doing it. Right. That's a that's a little out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's you know it's it's fun. So 
do the app thing. I write some music. I teach at USC. Wrote the book. I'm working on writing some other stuff. Uh, all sorts of, of gigging and playing. I, I just feel really, really lucky. I get to do all this stuff, and sometimes uh, even enjoy the travel. Like, like I said at the beginning, it's a beautiful day here in Vienna, Austria, and I think I'll go for a, a little walk after uh, after we finish. Our conversation here at the Drummers Resource Podcast. There you go. Well, we definitely appreciate you being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if people want to learn more about you, they can go right to uh, PeterErskine.com, right? Yep. Yep. There's a, there's everything and more that you want than you want to know is is there. Great. And like I said, I will link uh, your book and your apps and all of that stuff on my site as well on DrummersResource.com forward slash session 45 and again thank you so much for doing this it was, it was it was an absolute pleasure i'm glad we got to hook this up and and chat today thanks nick i really appreciate it uh, s- send me an email with all that info and i'll i'll link it all up as well and okay these are exciting times we live in and and uh, thanks to to all your listeners and 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 so much to you and I'm glad that John to Christopher brought us together here. As am I. As am I. So I'll All definitely right. be be thanking him as well. So, but uh, but thank you again, and and we'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Peter. Bye bye. So there you have it, the one and only Peter Erskine. Be sure to check him out at petererskine.com. And if you want to win that book, No Beethoven, you can win an autographed copy simply by signing up for the mailing list at drummersresource.com. Be sure to visit us, facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. And Twitter, we're at drummersrsource. And we're also on Instagram at drummersresource. And until next week, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. You know that. I love you guys. Thank you so much. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.